0: Welcome to the Sandhills Media Ministry. We hope this production encourages and challenges you to live a more Christ-centered life. Alright, so as Pastor Sean mentioned earlier, and some of you know if you are a member of the church, thank you David, um, that you are sitting in brand new chairs on brand new carpet with brand new paint, uh, surrounded by brand new stuff. And it's a beautiful, this is as clean as it will ever be. Uh, So take a look at this. And uh, so that being said, you know, we do allow you the privilege of bringing your nice uh, warm drinks in here. Uh, But let me just say the first person to spill coffee will be sitting on stage beside me during a service, just as that, that will be your punishment. So, uh, so don't do that. Also, I uh, have some special guests with us today. So years ago when Sandhills first started, uh, we adopted a mission field. We partnered with a ministry uh, down on the island of Trinidad or Trinidad and Tobago, if you're familiar with both of them. Um, and uh, we served in the city of Canupia. And we have Pastor Gerald and Sister Susan with us this morning. So Gerald, give me a wave. Just there you go. Thank you so much. Good to see you guys. So now they're uh, going strong and uh, it's just good to see your faces again. So for those of you who've served with us in the past with them, make sure you go greet the um, Samaru family. Oh, actually, and Josh and Chloe, are they here too? Oh, John, oh, there you are, sorry, I did, right next to them. Yeah, good to see you, yeah, welcome. All right, uh, okay, so um, two questions as we get started today, two questions. All right, has God ever failed you? Has God ever failed you? And second, do you think the culture that surrounds us has a better version of life than God does? So has God ever failed you? Do you think the culture that surrounds us has a better version of life than God does? We're going to talk about this in the context of 1 Samuel. And so if you have your Bibles handy, open up to 1 Samuel chapter 8, 1 Samuel chapter 8, as we look at the trouble of God's people, the trouble of God's people. Now, for those who are newer with us, or maybe this is your first Sunday with us, we've been studying the book of 1 Samuel, and I love to just take a book of the Bible and go all the way through it. And I am absolutely convinced that all of the Bible is as relevant for us today as it has ever been. So even though we're studying the Old Testament, and this is about 3,000 years ago when this stuff was written, these principles still apply to us today. So let's talk about the people of God where we are at this point in history. Uh, so at this point in history, the people of God have been, they've been wrestling. They, they wrestle with consistency. They wrestle with following the Lord. They are struggling in staying faithful to him. Uh, and it, to be fair, they had some bad leadership. So when we start the book of Samuel, there's a high priest named Eli and he's got a couple of sons and the sons are just bad kids. And so the religious leadership of Israel was a bit of a mess. And then the people of Israel who are supposed to be the children of God were not all being faithful. Many of them were worshiping. False gods. And so there was a lack of consistency. So then God raises up for himself a, a devoted, faithful man named Samuel. And Samuel uh, is who this book is named after. He is uh, God's prophet, God's priest, and he is leading the people and leading the people well. Now, though, things are changing, and it's been a bit of a journey to get us to this point. And uh, in in the midst of even all of this, people are still wrestling with faithfulness to God. So let's let's dig into 1 Samuel chapter 8, and I think it will make more sense as we unpack it. But let's talk about the trouble of bad leadership, the trouble of bad leadership. 1 Samuel chapter 8. When Samuel became old, he made his sons judges over Israel. The name of his firstborn son was Joel, and the name of his second was Abijah. They were judges in Beersheba, yet his sons did not walk in his ways, but turned aside after gain. They took bribes and they perverted justice. All right, so um, as I like to do, we're just going to break it down as we go through this thing. So it starts off when Samuel became old. Here's a question I'm thinking about. I'm not sure how much relevance it bears. How old is old? Careful. There's a right answer. Uh, so here's what I've learned about old, because I think if I were to ask the, the, the students who are here today, do you think that I am old? I don't think I would like their answer, right? I'll be honest. Uh, but here's what I have realized. I realized that old is one of those words that's subjective, and we all have our own definition, but some version of it will be much older than me. That's, although I I bet there are some people here who would say, no, I'm I'm straight up old. (laughs) Like, that's that's cool. But uh, I'm not there yet. I'm still feeling young, young at heart, uh, driving on here. But Samuel is old. Now, it's really interesting because when we hit chapter seven, uh, just the last time we were together two weeks ago when I was teaching this, um, Samuel was only in his 20s to 30s. And so we have... Fast forward it to however, however old you think old is. However old you think is, that's he's old. So now at this point. So we've just gone through a lot of time now. Uh, he's an older dude. Uh, and then it talks about he makes his sons judges. He has two sons, Joel and Abijah. He makes them judges. Now that's weird too because the role of a judge was not hereditary. That's not something that went through the family line. So for him to do this. And it, it's when he's old that he appoints his sons as judges. So that's curious to me. Because then I'm asking... What were they doing prior to this time? Like, what qualifies them to be judges? Uh, that's odd to me. And then they're in this town called Beersheba. Beersheba is like in the southernmost point of Israel. That's a weird place to put judges. That's not even like a holy city, so to speak. So what's going on there? That's kind of weird. The whole thing here is just odd. It's just odd. Um, and, and then when it talks about them, it says, Yet his sons did not walk in his ways, but turned aside after gain. They took bribes and they perverted justice. So this is the first and last we hear about these guys. And we, all we have to remember them by is um, the, the summary of their character. And then I was thinking, wow, what if in our lives your entire life was summed up in two sentences with the summary of your character? How would people remember you? So you know, it makes me think, I've done a lot of funerals. I've done a lot of funerals. And sometimes, to be fair, we're looking for things to say about the person that just died. I've talked to some families who I'm like, what, what should I say? And they're like, we don't know, not a good person. You know, like, <laughs> wow. Uh, y'all get real when people die. Um, yeah, so, but I was just thinking the same thing. I was like, when I die, ho- I hope, uh, if you're gonna sum up my character in a couple sentences, I hope uh, they're good. But for these guys, they were not. And then I'm thinking this, like all these thoughts I've had as I was studying this thing. Then I'm thinking, like, how is it that that the high priest of Israel doesn't even raise kids that walk with the Lord. How does that strike you guys? I mean, that's like, that's an interesting thing to me. So then I was thinking this. It reminds me that our kids have to make their own choices. So these two guys grew up in a home where their dad literally talked to God, right? Now, listen, I literally talked to God. You literally talked to God. God doesn't talk back, right? I mean, not verbally, right? He did to Samuel, so this is a guy who has conversations with God, and his kids don't end up uh, walking with the Lord. Um, and so then I would just say this: parents, if you have kids who aren't currently walking with the Lord, give yourselves a bit of grace, because I have noticed that parents, and particularly moms, I'm just gonna be honest, particularly moms, beat themselves up if their kids don't walk with the Lord, like they could have done something better. And so let me give you this truth: your kids will never walk with the Lord because of your faith. Like, you can influence them, you can encourage them, you can set a, a model and an example, but they're not gonna walk with God because of you. They're gonna walk with God because of their faith or not at all. Um, and so, and, and I would say I'm sympathetic to parents who are struggling with this. So parents, don't give up on your kids. Uh, some of you didn't come to know the Lord till later in life, so we'll trust that God's still doing the work. Uh, but here we are, and we see this playing out in 1 Samuel, he raises kids who aren't walking with the Lord. He tries to give them a job that they're not worthy of. And so uh, Israel struggles. Um, and so now we're going to go uh, to verse 4 and read there a little bit and talk about the trouble of wanting to be like everyone else. The trouble of wanting to be like everyone else. Uh, chapter 8, beginning in verse 4. Then all the elders of Israel gathered together, and they came to Samuel at Ramah. And they said to him, Behold, you are old, and your sons do not walk in your ways. Now appoint for us a king to judge us like all the nations. Mm. Mm. so this this is problematic this is really problematic as we study this Israel's at a loss for the next generation of spiritual leadership we get it and this council of elders they're a real thing these are the people who back in chapter 4 were the ones who decided you know what we should do let's get the ark and take it to battle for us how did that turn out Real bad, that was a real bad idea, which just tells you you get 70 wise people together, they don't always make a good choice. Uh, And so they're gonna get together again. And now these 70 people are saying this, you know what we need? The problem is we've been listening to Samuel and God, we just need a king. Just give us a king and then we'll be better off. I I don't know if I like where this council is going already. Now I would say the request is absolutely normal. It's absolutely normal. Everyone around them has a king. Everybody does. So actually being led by God, that's weird. It is just weird because God's kind of intangible and he's speaking through this dude and it's just easier for people to trust what they see. And so they wanna trust what they see. They're asking uh, to be led by a king. They want somebody visibly that they can interact with. I get it, I get it. It strikes me as this though. It is weird uh, for people of faith. People of faith in Christ, like that you would put your faith in somebody that you've heard about, that you've read about, but you've never met face-to-face. It it just reminds me of how remarkable it is to meet people of faith, of genuine faith in Christ. That's a beautiful thing. Now, I remember, um, uh, because scripture says it, not because I was there, when uh, Thomas, uh, the disciple of Christ, was talking about the fact that he had never seen Jesus, and so he was not gonna believe that Jesus was alive again until he could put his fingers in his wounds. And then Jesus appears to Thomas. And he's like, hey, Thomas, how's it going? You want to put your finger in my wound here? You want to stick your hand in my side? And Thomas is like, Lord, I'm, I'm sorry, I'm, I'm an idiot. I, I shouldn't have said those things. And, and Jesus makes this comment to him. He says, you know, Thomas, you believe because you've seen. But blessed are those who have not seen and yet believe. And so it's just a reminder of how blessed you are to have put your faith in Christ for those that have. That's a beautiful thing. And these people are wrestling with the same kind of thing. I want to put my faith in what I see, and I can't see, and so I'm struggling with having faith at all. Um, And I would say, too, the elders here, the elders are not addressing the right thing. They're not addressing the issue. The, The issue is they have bad leadership. And we see it everywhere. We've seen it everywhere in Israel. We see it in our own country. And we like to think the problem is the leadership. If we just get more leaders, different leaders in there, then things will be better. Now, I've got a little bit of age on me, just a little, I'm not old. I've got a little bit of age on me. I have seen leadership, even of our own country, transfer over a number of times at this point. And each time we keep thinking, it'll get better, it'll get better, it'll get better. And every time we get new leaders in there, and we're like, who else do we have? Can somebody else? You know, like, it just never fixes itself, right? You know why? Because we need to be a nation that submits to God first and not men. Men will always disappoint, but God does not. So, uh, and in the meantime, God's been leading well through the prophet Samuel. It's not like they've had a problem, but now they are struggling. Go to verse six. But the thing displeased Samuel when they said, give us a king to judge us. And Samuel prayed to the Lord and the Lord said to Samuel, obey the voice of the people and all that they say to you, for they have not rejected you, but they have rejected me from being king over them according to all the deeds that they have done from the day I brought them up out of Egypt, even to this day, forsaking me and serving other gods, so they are also doing to you. Now then, obey their voice, only you shall solemnly warn them and show them the ways of the king who shall reign over them. So Samuel now has come to the Lord, and this is fun to me. I like, it's like prayer for me. You know, prayer is a weird thing because God knows everything, which means then he could actually say your prayer to him the same time you are, because he knows all the words that are going to come out of your mouth. He was there when the thoughts were going on. He's got the whole thing. So that makes prayer weird to me, because I feel like sometimes in prayer, you could just come to prayer and go, and God's going to be like, I hear you. You know, like, like, what do you have to say? But it does seem like he likes to have interaction with us. And so here comes Samuel, who God watched the whole thing. It's not like he didn't. And Samuel comes and he's just complaining, like, Lord, these people, what is up with these people? They're the, like, here's what they're saying. And God's like, hey, listen, first of all, I get you're taking it personally because you're my prophet, but listen, it's not you. It's me. They're, they're rejecting me. They're rejecting my leadership. So I, you know, I get that. Uh, and in a sense of this, you know, God's kind of like, welcome to my world, uh, Samuel. But the, but the people here, this is really what's going on. The people are guilty of spiritual infidelity, Spiritual infidelity. So infidelity is when you cheat on somebody uh, that you have a bond with. And so uh, that's what's going on here. It, it, it's, uh, it's seeking for pleasure, for fulfillment outside of the, the place you are bound to find it. And that's what they're doing. They're stepping outside of this relationship with God and they're like, somebody else can care for us. Somebody else can lead us. Somebody else can judge us other than God. So they're they're literally asking to break a bit of this covenant that they have with God. Now, uh, you cannot inconsequentially reject the Lord. Like when you reject the Lord, there's something that comes from that. And Samuel knows it's wrong. And the reason he knows it's wrong is because they're saying, we're not like everybody else. We wanna be like everybody else. And of course, Samuel's response is, we're not supposed to be like everybody else. We're the people of God. We, we have different rules. We live by a different structure. We're not supposed to be like all those people out there. And it's interesting because there's a version of that even in the church today. This idea that like, well, we can be the church and love God and still still be like everybody else. You can't, you can't. We're called to be, different. we're supposed to be different. So my warning to us as a church, and of course, even historically, his warning to them was like, when you seek to be like culture, you will seek compromise. When you seek to be like culture, you will seek compromise. So now he's going to introduce them to this. This is the trouble of having a king. Go to verse 10. So Samuel told all the words of the Lord to the people who were asking for a king from him. And he said, these will be the ways of the king who will reign over you. He will take your sons and appoint them to be his chariots and to be his horsemen and to run before his chariots. And he will appoint for himself commanders of thousands, commanders of fifties, some to plow his ground and to reap his harvest, and to make his implements of war and the equipment of his chariots. He will take your daughters to be perfumers and cooks and bakers. He will take the best of your fields and vineyards and olive orchards and give them to his servants. He will take the tenth of your grain and of your vineyards and give it to his officers and his servants. He will take your male servants and female servants and the best of your young men and your donkeys and put them to work. He will take the 10th of your flocks and you shall be his slaves. And in that day, you will cry out because of your king, whom you have chosen for yourselves. But the Lord will not answer you in that day. So having heard what you've just heard about having a king, how many of you would say afterwards, still want a king? I still want one. I still I want to be like everybody else. Like, at what point does somebody stand up and go, okay, time out. We'd like to reconsider. Like, this sounds bad. And I was thinking about this, too, because this, this is real stuff, real people. I was thinking, what if you were one of those people who had farmland, that you had grown up, you know, like, and your, your dad, your granddad, whatever, they all worked the land, you know, you and your mom grew up there, your family's there, you got a bunch of family. You've all taken care of this. You elect this king, so to speak, or however it comes about, ultimately. The king comes over you, and then he comes to you and says, your land is now my land. I'm taking it and I'm gonna give it to my buddy over here who serves with me in my kingdom. And your family, you don't get to own it anymore. Yeah, I'm not still at your work here, but you're gonna work for me. Like how horrible would that be? That is your life, that your heritage, your family has built that up and then it just all goes away. And the, uh, the, the stuff that he takes, let me just run through the list again. Sons, daughters, best fields, best vineyards, best olive orches, and then a 10th of all the grain and then a 10th of the vineyards that are remaining. He already took the best ones. He's going to take a tenth of the remaining ones. He's going to take your male and female servants. He's going to take your best, and it, it's probably not young men. It's probably cattle, which is another um, translation there in the Hebrew. Uh, best cattle and the best donkeys. And so he's taking a bit of everything. Like, he's taking all this stuff, and it says here you're, you're going to be his slaves. Like, ah, I, I don't know that I want to sign up for this deal anymore. Um, and this is the thing, too. Like, people need to speak up. Somebody needs to be standing there going, listen, to be fair, Samuel, we don't always like what God says, but he's always right. Like somebody needs to be declaring that. And I would just say, even if if we could recapture that as a bit of today's church, this idea that like, look, look, I, culture is its own thing. But in the church, we're called to be something different. And I'm going to be honest with you. I don't always like what God says. It is, it is difficult. It's inconvenient. It is, it is against things that naturally I would be inclined toward. But God is always right. And whenever I submit to those things, I find that I'm at peace with God and myself. And so this is what we should do, whether or not we want it uh, at all. And, and yet... They do, they still want it. And he says this, the day you realize you've made a mistake choosing this king, God will not answer you. Now that's an interesting comment, isn't it? The day you call, so why, why won't God answer them? And I, I think I could hear very clearly from the Lord if I was in that moment, like this whole idea of like, you know, God, this, this whole thing has gone awry. Why won't you answer us? And I think God would say, listen, I, I was there for you the whole time so that I would lead you and protect you. You called out for a king, I gave you a king. If you're having a problem with the king, go ask him. But no, he's the, he's the, we don't, what the, and God's like, I gave you what you asked for. So this actually gives me some pause (laughs) to go like, hmm, we need to be careful what we ask for from the Lord. Well, look at verse 19. Verse 19 says this, but the people refused to obey the voice of Samuel. And they said, no, but there shall be a king over us that we also may be like all the nations and that our king may judge us and go out before us and fight our battles. And when Samuel had heard all the words of the people, he repeated them in the ears of the Lord. And the Lord said to Samuel, obey their voice and make them a king. Samuel then said to the men of Israel, go every man to his city. So here he's gone through all the stuff of what a king would do to you. And they're like, yeah, we still want one. Have you, you ever been in a conversation with someone where logic just doesn't work? Uh, you're like, okay, here's how, the, A, B, C equals D. And they're like, I don't know that I'm following you. And you're like, oh my gosh. Like, how can we, it's like trying to reason with your pet. You know, like, like so I have, this, I have this little 10 pound shih tzu that I love, little Chloe. And so when I walk with Chloe down the street, she is pulling on that leash and she wants to be in the middle of the street. All the time, she wants to be in the middle of the street. Cars are coming, she wants to be in the middle of the street. And it's like, okay, hey baby, come here. If you walk out in front of a car, it will kill you, right? And then she looks at me with her little face and I know what she's thinking. She's like, nothing has hit me yet. <laughs> so, <laughs> hey, that's how she talks. Don't, don't be insensitive. So I'm sitting there trying to reason with her, and she's like, she's thinking nothing has hit her yet. She's been fine all of these years, and the reason she's been fine all of these years is I've been holding the leash. These people are asking to be let off the leash. That can only lead to horrible things. And, and this, this thought that, like, God, you've got to keep me because if you don't, you're going to give me what I ask for and I'm going to realize when you give me what I've asked for, I don't want what I've asked for. This is why, you know, and in the, in the phrases is, you know, thank God for unanswered prayers. Like, I don't really want God to answer my prayers like I've prayed them. I'll be honest with you. Like And you don't either. You don't either, because for a moment you do. For a moment, you're like, "Mm, I think I would. Yeah, you think you would, because then you'd have, I don't know, what, the the big house and the awesome car and the swimming pool and whatever it would be. But like in the midst of that, you'd find out that you're empty because you didn't get what you really needed. You just got what you wanted, and your wants are kind of corrupted. So this is why, by the way, if you're ever wondering why God has not given you all that stuff, it's because he's blessing you. Yeah. So this is the thing. So now they're coming to God, they're, they're praying for stuff, and we don't want that, but they think they do want it. And let's think about the reasons they want it. They've given you clear reasons. One is we want to judge. All right, well, you have one in Samuel. And they would say, yeah, but Samuel's getting old and his two kids, they're a mess. Okay, yeah, yeah, that's a problem. So here's what we need. We need a different leader and we need to come to the Lord now and say, God, you've got to replenish Samuel because his kids are a wreck. We need someone else. And let's let God answer his own issues. Like God, God can do that. He's big enough. But they've come up with another thing. And we want a king to fight our battles yeah do you know how a king fights your battles hey go fight that battle that like that's how he fights the battle like he's gonna come to you and be like okay you're the army go fight the battle you're like "Ah, i thought you were gonna do i thought you're gonna raise up an army you're right i am gonna raise up an army i'm gonna take your kids and i'm gonna send them to war you're like what not my kids Take other people, like, how does this work? And then you're like, did you not think through this? Do you not know how this works? Did you not look at the other cultures around you? This is how this works. This is what the king does. So all of this just just seems like it's not thought thought through. And what this really all means is that the people no longer trust God. That's what it is. They no longer trust God. And to be fair, they've had a rough go. Uh, Because in the prior administration, spiritually speaking, uh, they had priests who were unethical and dishonest, and they suffered. And then they took their ark to, into a battle that they thought they would win, and they lost, and they suffered. The ark got taken, and then finally got re- reclaimed, <laughs> recaptured. Uh, and then when it came home, they treated it dishonorably, and God struck down a number of the people, and they suffered. And now we're in a new generation, and this new generation is not a good generation of leadership. That is Samuel's sons, and the people are suffering. And so just with each of these, they're like, Lord, all along the way, all we've done is suffer. And you know what? We're just not sure we trust you anymore. Now, this is the problem. The people of God have always struggled with this. We blame God for man's sin. Listen, when you do that, there is no hope. You're putting that sin at the wrong feet. Like I've heard people, I'll talk to people out in the community and they'll be like, you know, like, I don't go to church. Like, why don't you go to church? Because I'm you know, the people, the people of the church, they're just, they're a mess or whatever. They're I'm like, yeah, what do you think we are? It's, it's not, we're not here because we're perfect, we're here because God's perfect. The rest of us are just still trying to figure this thing out, right? That's why I'm so glad for Jesus, so glad for Jesus. And Jesus is the only one I know of that'll be like, "Yeah, you're a mess." I'll tell you what. You put your faith in me, completely clean from that moment. You're like, "I am absolutely, completely, all your sin erased." Like, "Oh, I'll be perfect." No, no. You'll you'll begin to walk then like me. You'll begin to learn like me. But it's not instantaneous. And that's why in any church, it's a mess. The only here's the thing. You're not looking for the perfect church with the perfect people because you just won't find it. And the only reason you would ever think anybody is is really perfect is because you haven't talked to them yet, right? But then when you talk to them and the illusion is removed you're gonna you're gonna find out here's all you want to know i you may be a mess but are your eyes fixed on the word of god have you submitted yourself to jesus christ as the only one who can deliver mankind from their sin are you trying to walk in a way that now having found salvation in christ you're trying to live it out in a way that would honor and please the lord like if you're doing those things then amen the rest of it we're still trying to figure out so this is This is what they're wrestling with, but they're blaming God for man's sin, and so they no longer uh, want the Lord. And so at the end of this, Samuel says to them all, uh, go every man to his own city. And so there's there's no resolve here. Actually, in that moment, they don't really know what's to, like, what's to come. It's the cliffhanger for us. We don't know what's to come either. Yeah. Unless you've read ahead. But, uh, so it just kind of stops there. So we'll, we'll stop there. We're going to study obviously the chapter nine and following in, in coming weeks, but let's pause here just to talk about some lessons learned in this journey. Lessons learned. Um, and I would say one is the trouble of not trusting God. Once you no longer trust the Lord, you're already in a world of hurt. You're already in a world of hurt. I said, I asked at the beginning, like like. One, has God ever failed you? Uh, and then the second is, do you think it's that culture offers a better version of life than uh, the Lord does? And I think you have to answer those questions legitimately because I think they, they take you to the next place that you need to be. Some people, I think, would like to think both. Like, like the idea that what if we could follow the Lord faithfully and yet still live a version of life that culture is living because, because I think there is this desire it's natural to want to be accepted by those who don't really believe what you believe and so it would be nice if what if we could really legitimately walk with God and be accepted by the culture that surrounds us do you think that's possible that's a great lunch question for you to talk about can we both be equally accepted by the culture that surrounds us and be a faithful body of, of believers in Christ like that's a, that's a discussion question. But I would say this, the church is naturally at odds with culture, naturally. And, and I would say too, I, th- I think the reason that we kind of want to be accepted by the culture is we feel like, for those who don't have a lot of years on them, like there, there are some promises, that there's, there's some things offered by the culture that surrounds us that seem like they would be really fulfilling. But I would say this, the world offers empty promises, and all you need is a few years of life to figure that out. The world just offers empty promises. The stuff they say that will make you happy and fulfilled and that you need, those are lies. They're myths. Like This is why when you come to the scripture, you're like, this just seems so foreign to everything I've grown up with. Like, absolutely, that's how, that's how God is structured. It. It's just completely foreign. But when you align yourself with that and you submit yourself to the Lord Jesus Christ, you will be living the best version of life you can ever live. And if you don't believe me, just ask anybody that's done it those that are legitimately walking with Christ and talk to them about how fulfilled they are and, and about what life really means to them in that moment. But, but I would say this too. God offers the warning, but he doesn't prevent the action. And that's always been interesting to me where he comes along, he says, you shouldn't have a king. If you have a king, you're gonna ruin our relationship and he's gonna take advantage of you. And the people are like, we want a king. But he's like, okay, you want a king? And so he doesn't slap it out of their hands, so to speak. They have to make a choice. Like, that's a great way to teach. So years ago, uh, my wife and I were on a trip and we were going up in the mountains and and as we're going through the mountains, we paused at a rest area because I just, I need to go to the restroom. So as we pull over, we're going in and when I'm walking into the restroom, there's a bush right by the restroom and there's this big snake curled up in the top of the bush and it had really pretty pattern on it. It was just amazing pattern on this snake. It was very memorable. So then I go into the restroom and like they have in a lot of restrooms, there were posters on the wall of snakes of the Southeast. And I noticed that that was one of the most venomous snakes in the southeast sitting in that bush. And so uh, as I'm coming out of the restroom, there are three children gathered around the bush with a stick in their hands. And one of them is, is like, he's coming in on that snake. And I see that snake kind of, you know, a snake's kind of like, hmm, we about to go? Are we going to go? And, uh, and so I walked by and I thought, this is a good teaching moment. So I walked by the children and I said, hey, just before you poke the snake, just need you to know, that's one of the most venomous snakes in the Southeast. And then I just walked away. And I was like, you know what? They're going to figure it out one way or the other. I mean, <laughs> kids got to learn, right? And if he follows through and gets bit, some kids need a harder life lesson, right? And, uh, and he'll never forget it, never forget it. Now, to be fair, uh, they, they dropped the snick, stick and ran away. Uh, but... Um, you know, it's, uh, it's just one of those things where it's like sometimes you just need to let people figure it out once you give them the information. And God's really generous with us in that. He will give us the information. Here's the Lord, Jesus Christ. He gave his life for you. You, you want to be forgiven of your sins? You want to spend eternity in paradise? You want, you want as much peace in this life and the next as you can have? Submit yourself, put your faith in Christ. You don't want to put your faith in Christ? Okay, you don't have to. There's a consequence, but you don't have to. Like, like God is really kind and generous uh, in that regard. And so I think that's another lesson. And finally, I would say this let's trust the Lord to fight our battles. I think we've put our hope in enough men and seen enough failure to know that only God can truly rescue. So let's just put our faith in the Lord. In fact, let's pause right now. Let's talk to him about that. Uh, Lord God, after we have uh, been studying this part of 1 Samuel, we're just reminded that what these people are going through, it is not so foreign to what we go through. This idea of really wrestling with whether or not we can trust you whether or not you'll come through for us. And then, and then Father, the, the call of the culture that surrounds us about how we naturally desire to, to be accepted by this community that's outside the church that has different values, they're doing life a different way, even telling us that we're wrong. And we want both, Father. We want to be accepted by them and we want to walk faithfully with you. And at some point, Father, we realize we have to make a choice. Either we put ourselves in full submission to the one true God or we elect a foreign king. Father, may it be that at the end of the day we keep our trust in you. We love you and we thank you in your holy name, amen, amen.